Please join me in reading our scripture for the day from Deuteronomy 34. Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unequaled for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all of his servants in his entire land. And all the mighty deeds and all the terrifying displays of power that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. You may be seated. Tell you what, that was the cheesiest thing I've ever seen. But that Marvel music from Marvel, from some of the Marvel movies, it makes it kind of all right, doesn't it? it, makes it kind of, that was a 1978 series, went from 78 to 79. I think they took people from Buck Rogers, from Dallas, and all the soap opera, soap opera stars and tried to pull them together for the greatest heroes of the Bible. It's awesome. But that's where we are. That's where we're spending our time this summer doing. We're looking at the greatest heroes of the Bible, or we're looking at at least eight of them that we, can, that we wanted to share with you all. And today we're going to continue this with Moses. Now I want you to know, at the end of the sermon, I'm going to be scooting out, but it's not because I don't like y'all. It's because I'm going to go preach at one church and then come back. So if, when you see that happening, it's, y'all, y'all still got stuff to do, but I'm going to go down to the school, okay? All right, but we're talking about Moses, but who is Moses? Uh, is this Moses? This is what some of us know him to be, right? Charlton Heston. He, uh, he, he kind of was the iconic role for it. A lot of kids will know Prince of Egypt, if you've seen that, or you've watched it a hundred times with your kids, because that's how we watch videos with our kids, right? A hundred times. This is my favorite scene from, from Prince of Egypt, where the, the lightning flashes across the water and the whales right there. I thought, oh, good touch, DreamWorks, good touch. <laughs> what about this? Simpsons, they even got in on Moses, right? Even the Simpsons got in on Moses. Well, how about Family Guy? Some, that's, that's my sense of humor. I'm sorry. Okay, favorite Moses joke. You ready? How does Moses, how does Moses make tea? <laughs> Who is Moses? Well, let's look at his resume here that we, that we find. Moses was someone that, that we know of. Uh, he parted uh, just some things. If he, ever, if he was to fill out a resume... These are some of the things I think he'd put down that he helped to part the Red Sea, that he'd given the Ten Commandments, that he stopped the sun. There's actually a, a passage in Numbers where they're fighting against the, an enemy of Israel, and to, because to keep the battle going, Moses and Aaron are praying, and the sun stops so that they have enough, they have enough time to, to do, to take care of business. And then the last thing I'd say about Moses is that he actually saw God face to face. He was the first person in, recorded, in the recorded history as God bringing him back that actually saw God. He actually saw God. We also know that Moses is mentioned 81 times in the New Testament. Next to David, he's one of the, he's one of the most referred to um, individuals in the, Old, in the Old Testament. He's just, he's just moved through. He's, he's always in the conversation with Jesus in the, in the early church. But also, 
with Moses. It was Moses and Elijah who showed up at the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was beginning to head towards Jerusalem. And so to symbolize the, to symbolize the prophets of old, it was Moses and Elijah who showed up with Jesus. And that's where Peter, James, and John kind of freak out and they want to build tents there. Um, but it's Moses. Moses. It's been Moses all along. He's one of the greatest prophets that Israel has ever known, like we read in, in Deuteronomy 34. Uh, but and as entertaining as the Simpsons and the and, and as Prince of Egypt are and all that, it doesn't get at who he is. It doesn't get at that passage that said, never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses. And so my task for with y'all today is to, in 25 minutes, is to kind of hit the highlights of Moses, all right? If you've got your study notes, if, if follow along with me. But also, I would encourage that. Use that like a study guide this week, because I'm going to go through. I'm just going to touch Exodus. But uh, Moses is in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. His whole story is there. And so I'm going to hit the highlights, and you can go back and study, okay? So here we go. Five qualities. I think five, five uh, major um, major. Um, uh, five major um, highlights, high points of who Moses is and that I want to share with you all today. And so the first one is that prophet of God, his title, the prophet of God, was actually Moses's, his third career. This is Moses' third career in the Bible. Because what we know about him, what we know about him is that he didn't start off this way. It took him a while to get there. So one summer, one Christmas, I'm heading back from seminary. I'm in my second year of seminary, and Nikki and I, and we're going back. We're packing up. We've just finished finals, and my big brother calls me. Big brother is a, was a captain in the Lubbock Fire Department, and he had buddies in the police department, and he found out through a buddy that there was actually a warrant issued for my arrest because that summer before, I had gotten a speeding ticket, and I got back to seminary, and, you know, God was going to take care of it, right? And magically erasing, no, no. So by the time I'm going to show back up in Lubbock, I'm on Lubbock's most wanted list. And he's like, brother, he's like, brother you better get Nikki to drive. Get, Nikki better be driving by the time you hit the county line, and you better take care of that as soon as you can. It was hard. I was thinking about that, going, how does this work, and what, is, what will it do to my, my record and all this other stuff? I've never had a warrant out for my arrest. What did it, do? it was hard that time, that, that Christmas, to really go home. I figured it out. We figured it out. But it's hard to go home. Moses. Moses, when we encounter him, by the time he begins to earn the title prophet of God, he's been a lot of things. He's been a slave. He's been a prince. Then he's a murderer because he killed, he killed an Egyptian and hit him in the, in, the, in the sand. Then he's a fugitive because Pharaoh wants to kill him at that point. Then he's a shepherd. And that's, that's all at the beginning of his life. And then he spends 40 years in the wilderness taking care of sheep before God actually calls him back again. But here's the thing. Um, let, let, me, um, let, me, let me read this. This is the, um, yeah, let me read this to us. This is where um, we hear God really standing out in the story. Uh, Exodus 2, after his rise, after his murder, and after his, he flees, this is what, the, um, this is what we hear um, happens next. After a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned under their slavery, and they cried out. And out of their slavery, their cry for help rose to God. God remembered the groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God looked upon the Israelites, and God took notice of them. Now with Moses, Moses was back in the back 40, uh, tending sheep at this point. Um, he, he thought it was over. There was nothing for him back in Israel, back in Egypt. But God at this moment, even though, even though Moses had good intentions, I think he had good intentions when he took care of the Egyptian, 
but wrong delivery, bad outcomes, God didn't forget his people. And what we hear at the end of Exodus 2, as you read this kind of fast-paced story, is that God didn't forget Moses, even though he'd messed up and run away, and he didn't forget his people Israel. God was on the scene to actually take care of them. God was going to begin moving in their lives. And the way that he had to move in their lives was that he had to get Moses back on track. He didn't forget his people, Moses or the Israelites. And what we see is what we begin to see with Moses calling him bringing, and God bringing him back is that God had been working through his life. God had been preparing Moses throughout his whole life. God had actually been there, even in the disasters, even in the wrong, even in the false start, if you will. And here it is. Zero to 40, he was in Egypt. 40 to 80 years old, he was in Midian as a shepherd. And 80 to 120 years old, he was leading the Exodus to the promised land. So I wonder, I wonder how many of us are on their second career or third career or fourth career? How many of us have made mistakes that we don't think that God could ever use or God could ever undo and bring us back? Well, you're wrong. Because if the greatest prophet that Israel had ever seen had had some false starts in second careers and third careers, God can still use us, right? Being a prophet, being used by God, doesn't mean you got to get it right. It just means that we got to keep following. Moses, he, he was a third career guy. Moses in the Exodus. This is the second highlight that I'd love to point out. From Exodus 4, 18 to 20, it's really 4, 18 through 15, 20, as you kind of read that passage there. And one of the things we love to do Every Christmas as we gather with my, my sister's cabin in Austin and all the cousins, and now the second cousins are coming, we get out there and play. And I love playing with little kids because I can outrun them and I can outjump them and stuff. You know, it's awesome because you're, you're having fun, you're doing whatever, but when it comes to getting the prize or when it comes to, to showing off, you know, even my, me at my size, I can outrun a little four-year-old, right? It's like, ha-ha, look at you. Um, with, Moses and, with Moses coming back to the people of Israel, I want to suggest that what God is doing with the Egyptian is he's playing around with a little four-year-old. God, in all of his power, in all of his, um, in all of his glory, in all of, his, uh, in all of who he was, was actually showed up back in, back in Egypt to, as, to deliver his people. God is coming, and the way that he's going to deliver his people is he's actually going to show them that there is nobody like him, that there's no one that can equal him. And that what we see with the ten plagues um, and Moses going to, the, to Pharaoh and then you see the ten plagues working themselves out is God's way of saying to Pharaoh and God's way of saying to the people, there is nobody like me. There is no one that exists. There's no one that you, you worship that's, that, that can compare to me. Like we just saying, there's no rival and there's no equal. But the problem was, with the Israelites being there for 400 years, they had forgotten that. They didn't know that. And so when God, when God sends Moses back to deliver his people, he's not only trying to deliver them to free them from slavery, but he's also trying to free them to worship him, to worship the true God. And the way that he does that, the way that he does that is by actually displaying his power in ways that shows there's no rival and there's no equal. God not only had to show the Egyptians his power, but he also had to show the Israelites his power. Both of them needed to be convinced of who he was, of his status, of his primacy. And so with the Exodus, we see God in his mercy, and it's, it's devastating. It's, I mean, it's, it's horrific to see the pride of the Pharaoh that, that allows these, these plagues to continue. 
but he actually, in his grace and his mercy, he's stepping it up to the point where, no, where they realize that, that he, is, he is the true God. So Moses in the Exodus, this is where he shows himself. This is where he, he actually is used by God to help his people become free. Again, not just from their bonds, but actually free to worship God because they know him. Now, the next uh, highlight from his career is Moses and the Big Ten, uh, the Ten Commandments and the Tabernacle. And this comes from Exodus 19 through 31. Again, this is something that you can, you can read on your own. It we couldn't cover it here if we, if we had to. So uh, one of Cosmo's, my youngest son's favorite part of camp, uh, Boy Scout camp, is when as our open and closing campfires, because at Camp Simpson there in Bromide, Oklahoma, uh, they always tell stories of the Delaware Native American tribe that lived, that, that, that moved in and around that area. But they also tell stories about the witching hole. The witching hole is a, a limestone, uh, the, is a part of the river there, the, the, where, that covered out this huge bowl, and it's supposed to be really deep, and at the bottom it's supposed to be this Indian, Indian uh, some kind of witch that lived there, and she was really jealous of an Indian princess's beauty, so she drug her down to the witching hole, but there's also a gold mine down there. I mean, it's awesome. It's fantastic. The way the stories just expand over this thing are amazing, and Cosmo loves them. And what Cosmo really loved doing this year, because it was his second year at camp, was kind of getting the younger boys, the newer scouts, really worked up over it. And it's supposed to be lots out, but you can hear them whispering over there, well, what if the witch comes out? What if, what if she comes over here? And all this stuff. They just stayed up all night, and you finally have to yell across camp and go, boys, the witch isn't real. Go to sleep. But it's awesome because that story is something that just set, it kind of sets the mood. It sets our, it sets some of the traditions that they, they have at Camp Bromide and it's, and it kind of propels the boys into their, their summer camp experience. Okay. Why this, why about that? The story that encounters us, the story that grips us is about this God who loved us so much that even when we sin, even when we broke his heart, even when we disobeyed him, couldn't live without us. And from Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve sinned, moving forward, his heart was set on being reconciled and being back with us. He wanted nothing more, wanted nothing more in all of the world, in all of time and space, than to actually live with us again. He longs to be with his people. And as he frees them, as Moses is used to free the people from Israel, from Egypt, and they move across, they move through the Red Sea, and find themselves at Mount Sinai, we see here God beginning to describe the way that they're going to live together. Because God's deepest desire was that he wanted to choose Israel to be his people. But beyond that, he wanted to fulfill this desire to live among his people. God wanted to be back with us. And so he starts to lay out the rules. He starts to lay out the way that we can actually do that. Because the problem is being sinful the problem is, if being rebellious as we were, if we were in God's presence, we'd burn up. That was the kind of the way that it worked back then. If you were in presence of a holy God as he was, you couldn't stay there. You couldn't live there. And so God begins to design a way, begins to line out a way of saying to them, here's how we're going to do it. And so the Ten Commandments are, are really descriptions of his character and how we're, what we're supposed to live out. And then as he begins to describe the tabernacle, and you can get lost in some of those verses and some of those chapters when he talks about how they're going to weave the curtains and how they're going to set up the altar and all of this. But here's, but here's the point of it was this was how God was actually going to begin to live among his people. It wasn't perfect, and it wasn't where he wanted to stay, but he was finally going to get to live among his people again. 
Sandra Richter, Old Testament professor out of a book called Epic of Eden, she says this, the, ta- the, t- the Ten Commandments and the, and the description of the tabernacle, it actually communicates that God lives here, that he's among us. But it, but it also communicates that anyone who would draw near either must be holy or dead because there wasn't any way of, there wasn't any way of transgressing that. But God begins to live out his desire of being among his people. And Moses gets to help that. The next thing that I saw about Moses that I really admired, um, that really struck me, was that he invested in the next generation. He invested in the next generation. My father-in-law, um, will, if you get him talking about his story and about where he's, um, where he's been and what has gone on in his life, he will eventually come around to talking to you about Sam. Sam was an um, uh, alumni from the UC Berkeley who actually uh, partnered with my father-in-law to start a ranch in Montana. Um, and Sam was, was someone who, Deward would say to you, get, got him where he is today. Actually helped him become the, the man that he is today because of the way that Sam mentored him. And because of that, and he's never seen, he's never seen pay it forward, he couldn't tell you about that. But he knows that because of what Sam did for him, he's responsible for helping other people realize their dreams, especially when it comes to ranching. And one of the ways that he does this um, there in, in uh, Central Oklahoma, Oklahoma, <clears throat> it's kind of redundant in it, Central Oklahoma, Oklahoma. But the way that he does this is that he holds brandings. And when he holds these brandings, he's trying to teach this new generation of ranchers how, how to do it old school without the clamps, without it, but actually how you, partner, how you can partner together with your neighbors to actually form a community that can take care of each other. Deward is a mentoring machine. He's, a, he's an apprentice-making machine because he's been apprentice, because he had a mentor, and because of the impact of his life, he gave back. Moses is the same way. Moses had a mentor, and we know, we know his name is Jethro. It was his father-in-law. Jo, uh, Jethro was the one who gave him a chance when he was running away from Pharaoh, uh, it was because of something that uh, Moses, he saw in, Jethro saw in Moses that he brought him into his family. He actually married in. And then it was something that in, in Exodus 18, when they've gotten out of Egypt and they're beginning to kind of work out the day-to-day stuff, Jethro comes back. Jethro comes. He brings his wife and his sons to him. And he begins to notice what Moses is doing in, in Exodus 18. And he begins to give fatherly or good fatherly advice about how to actually live into this new role. Jethro was a mentor to Moses. He invested in Moses. And because of that, I think Moses uh, had an eye of looking at and beginning to invest in, uh, invest in somebody else. And it, for Moses, he mentored Joshua over time. Joshua is someone who, as you, read, as you begin to read through the Scripture, and I have those Scriptures down in those notes for you, you begin to see this, this increasing connection between them until finally he's called his apprentice, and then finally we see... In, uh, in, in Numbers and then Deuteronomy, we actually see that Joshua is become, is become, is, will become the leader once Moses dies. Moses mentored Joshua over time, and it was because Joshua proved faithful to God over time. I think this investment in, the investment, in, um, investment in the next generation is something that we can't rush, but it's something that we have to do. Every year, every year around January 31st, we, 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 everyone's watching... Uh, after the national championship was played, we're watching what? We're watching signing day for the next season because college football, college sports know that the, a winning season begins with a winning recruitment class. You can't win. You can't continue to be the people you're, the team you want to be if you're constantly not recruiting new talent. 
in raising up the next generation. I wonder why we can't take that principle from NCAA sports, but also from Moses and realize that if we're going to continue the work that God has called us into, that if it's big enough and long enough, we're going to have to raise, we're going to have to raise up mentors after us to continue the work. Not do it like we do it, not do it, not do it exactly like us, but who can continue the work in a faithful way. Moses invested in the next generation. Um, we need to invest in the next generation. And actually, Acts 2, you do invest in the next generation. You've already started Connect uh, uh, in mentoring uh, with Mark's, Mark's leadership and Mark's passion to raise new leaders. Uh, you've, you've, you've mentored and sent off Adam with what's happening at one church. You're already showing that again, that you realize that if Acts 2 is going to grow and become the church that it's supposed to be, we've got to raise up the next generation of leaders. And I love it. I love being a part of that here. I love that that connects with Moses' story. And finally, I want to suggest that Moses gets it. Moses gets it. At the end of Exodus, when the, after the golden calf incident and everything is falling apart, uh, and God has told the Israelites, y'all need to go on. Uh, y'all can go on to the promised land, but I'm not going with you. Moses begins to speak to the Lord and, and, um, in a way that communicates. I think that, actually, in my mind, this is when he becomes the prophet of God. This is when he really becomes the man that, I believe God was looking for. He, he gets it a little bit like Charlie got it in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Come on, Charlie. Let's get out of here. I'm going to eat with him if it's the last thing I ever do. So I go to the gobstopper and he don't get one. Mr. Wonka? So shines a good deed in a weary world. Charlie! My boy. You won! You did it! You did it! I knew you would! I just knew you would! Oh, Charlie. Forgive me for putting you through this. Please, forgive me. Come in, Mr. Wilkinson. Charlie, meet Mr. Wilkinson. Pleasure. Slugworth. No, no, that's not Slugworth. He works for me. For you? I had to test you, Charlie, and you passed the test. You won. What? The jackpot, my dear sir. The grand and glorious jackpot. The chocolate? The chocolate, yes, the chocolate. But that's just the beginning. I said... Moses gets it. At this point, when God is promising Israel that he's going to do everything that he's ever promised for him, but he's not going to go with him, Moses stands, stands firm, and says to him, no, no, we don't just want the chocolate. We want it all. We want it all. We want you. We don't just want a piece of what you have. We don't just want your provision for us, but we want your presence. And if you're not going with us, then we're not going anywhere else. That's my translation, but you can read it. Moses chooses God's presence over his pavilion, provision. And it's here where he begins to shine because I think even with the, even with the disaster of the golden calf incident uh, and the pain that that caused, 
God and I believe Israel and then I believe us as Christians looking back over these years, we realize that this was a man who got it. Who got it. He chose God's presence. He also chose to pursue God's face. He wanted to know him intimately. And we see that in the same, this same passage, these, um, Exodus 33 and 34. Um, but we also realize that Mo- Moses was someone who modeled what it meant to follow God daily. Now, they had a little bit of help. They had a, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And if the, um, if the cloud or the pillar was over the tabernacle, they stayed. If it moved on, they followed it. But Moses was someone who actually began to model for his people and models for us what it means to pursue God in a daily, intimate relationship, what it means to be dependent on him, to actually cast our cares and cast our concerns and cast our decisions on him and say, God, where would you have me? And while we don't have a cloud and a pillar of fire, I believe that God speaks to us if we, if we will listen. God will speak to us and help us through it. So out of these five big, uh, these five big events in his life, uh, I want to come back to, uh, I really want to come back to the, uh, um, what I think is, is the most needed, um, is the most thing, the thing that we need to replicate it the most. And I believe it, it's, it's got to be an investment in the next generation. We've got to start looking at that now. And here's your action step as you go out today. And this is an action step that's not just for Mark and I or anyone on staff at the church, this is an action step for you and your business or your school or your clubs or wherever you're at. It's begin to look for your Joshua or Joshua at. I don't know how you would say that. I don't know how you feminize that. But it's begin to look for that person who's eager. It's begin to look for that person who's curious about the things of God, that person that wants to learn, that person that has been by, that is, that has been by your side and been saying yes to you and has been faithful. But finding that person... From, from the accounting office uh, all the way through to uh, programming. Finding that person that, that God would say, here's where I want you to invest. Here's where I want you to pour yourself in some, some way, in some capacity, because they're, they're the ones that are going to carry the torch when you're gone. Because, folks, we're going to be gone someday. We, don't, we're, we're, we may get 70, 80, 90 years. I don't know. But we're going to be gone someday. And who's going to carry it on if we haven't, who's going to carry it on if we haven't been investing in them? And then when you're 80, I think it's too late. It's got to start now. It's got to start now where we are. And so your action step today, and this is the thing that I pray for you, the thing that I pray that we would emulate Moses as, is that you begin to find that Joshua uh, in your life that you can invest in, who can continue the work, that, God has started, that you started with God and carry it to completion. Will you pray with me? So, Lord, we come and we just say thank you for the day. Thank you for the story of Moses as quick as we run through it. Lord, he is someone who has modeled so much to us. Lord, thank you for his grace and his mistakes. Lord, thank you for, thank you for the power that you've, that you've displayed in front of him. Lord, and most of all, thank you that he got it, that it's about you, not what you can give. Lord, help us to be a people. Help us to be a church that longs for your presence, Lord. We pray that you would fill us and speak to us, Lord, because we know that if we have that, we know we have all we need. Lord, we thank you. And we pray in the prayer that your son taught us by saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.
Amen. Now we come to that. Now we come to that time in our service where we uh, give back to God. One of the one of my favorite stories in Exodus is that when they when the people of Israel were building the tabernacle, Moses called for an offering for that to, for that to take place, and the people gave. He didn't say what to give, he, but the people just gave with glad and generous hearts. So, people of God, uh, we, let's give today what God has provided for us. In Christ's name, amen.